Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. We are today kicking off a mini-series, a new series called Christ in Us, Christ Through Us. We, um, when we plan the series that we roll out through the teaching team, we, um, we spend time in prayer. We spend time thinking, discerning, analysing. What, 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 what is God calling us to, to, sp- to speak? What is God calling us to talk about? And um, we have Tuesday night prayers. I don't know if, if people have been going to Tuesday night prayer. Well, I know that people have been going to Tuesday night prayer. I don't know if you've been going particularly, but a number of you have been going. And, and we get feedback out of that and we analyse, well, what is God asking of us for the season ahead? And so we've pulled together this series. And so what's this series about? Really, it's a mini-series all about the importance and having an understanding of our inner spiritual health, our inner world, our inner spiritual health. You see, our inner self is the foundation from which God wants to impact the world. Your inner self is the foundation from which God wants to impact the world around you. When we live in health, when we're in balance, when we're in sync, when we're in accordance with God's will, God shows up in our lives. But I've actually, as we kick off this sermon series, I've got a bit of a confession to make. Uh, Seven years ago, I reckon, I was sat at the back of the church before I I did the internship, before um, before I became a pastor. And I remember hearing Mark speaking about some of these concepts. I remember he was, he was um, talking about emotional health. He was talking about how we're in a feelings-led culture. He was talking about how advertising can drive us with our feelings and how we operate out of this inner world. And I remember thinking, oh, it's so interesting. It's really intriguing. But it's not for me. No, I wasn't. It wasn't for me. I was the, uh, I was the one that didn't need it. I was high-functioning. I was the one that um, I could achieve things. When he talked about those anxious thoughts that people have, I was like, I don't, I don't struggle with anxiety. I don't have anxious thoughts. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all good. Those people probably need it. And it's a really interesting observation of culture. Um, but this doesn't apply, apply to me, does it? And oh my goodness, how wrong was I? If you are alive, anyone in the room not alive? I think everyone in the room is alive. You have an inner world. It's just a reality of, a, of a how you are made, how God has made you. We all have an inner world. Whether you've stopped to think about it or not, or whether you're consumed with thinking about it, the reality is you have an inner world. Have you, um, have you ever walked away from a conversation and gone, oh, why did I say that? Oh, why did, why did those words come out of my mouth? Oh, they're going to think that I'm... Have you ever thought, have you ever been about to go into a conversation? Maybe the night before you're lying in bed and you know you've got to have a conversation with a family member or a work colleague or a friend and you're like gaming it out in your mind and you're like, oh, okay, right, well, what I'll do is I'll wait until we've got a coffee and then when they're calm and sat down, I'll say this and then they'll probably say that. And, oh, no, what if they don't say that? What if they say... Oh, what if they don't want the coffee? 
Oh, how do, okay, let's start again. And I'll do it over by the kitchen when we're having the, and I'll say that that's your inner world at play. As we analyse those future conversations, sometimes we, I lay in bed thinking about conversations that come to mind that were months ago, weeks ago, years ago. That's your inner world at play. Did I offend them? What were they thinking? How was I perceived? Analyzing the future, reminiscing on the past, reflecting on the past. This is all our inner world at play. My, my favorite example of this, maybe you can relate to this, is when, when you meet someone new and you know you're about to meet them, you're like, you want to make sure the handshake's good. If I do anyway. And I'm like, you don't want one of those handshakes. You know, you, you're like, you don't give them the wet fish, you give them a strong handshake and they, they say their name and then you're like, oh, nice to meet you. What are you doing? And then, then they say, so, sorry, what was your name? And I'm like, oh, I haven't shared my name. What's my name again? Oh, that's right, it's Ryan. Hang on, what did they say their name was? Oh, so self-conscious. I didn't actually catch that. I can't ask their name again. They've just said it. I've forgotten their name. I've only just met them and I've forgotten their name. That's your inner world at play, right there. We all have this inner world. The reality is we are physical, spiritual, emotional beings. We have an inner world. Don't be deceived. You've got an inner world going on. And it has a purpose. Your inner world has a purpose. God has created in his wisdom an inner world in your life and he wants to use that as a platform to affect the world around you. But we're dealing with this struggle. We are in this daily struggle of the inner world conflict and allowing that to stabilise so that we can have connection with the outer world. It doesn't matter if you are a CEO sat at a board table or if you're a surfer at the back of a wave, you have an inner world at play. Our inner self is the foundation from which God wants to impact the world. I've got a quick question, quick straw poll. Who here wants a more flourishing life? Put your hands up. No one ever responds for yeah. Does any I'll do it differently because there's the, the quiet people that don't want to put their hands up. Does anyone not? One, a, a more flourishing life. Anyone not in that camp? Didn't think so. But the thing we have to understand is that, that a more flourishing life comes as we allow Scripture to permeate through our lives, the way of God to permeate through our lives. So what I want to do as we set up this sermon series, I want to actually have a look about what Scripture says about our inner world, what Scripture says about our lives. So we're going to have a look at this today. We're going to set this up as we set up the sermon series, this dynamic that's at play. Because our inner life absorbs more energy than we realise. Our inner self has the ability to be hijacked. Our inner self can be used to distract us, can be used to misdirect us, can be used to control us. We can become enslaved through our inner worlds. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be held captive in those anxious thoughts about conversations in the future. I don't want my life from my inner world to be held captive about where I'm going. And I don't want to be stuck processing the past. 
We live in the moment. We live today. God is working today. So how do we step into true freedom in the moment under Christ? It, it stems from understanding our inner world. So we're about to jump into this. We're going to set up this mini-series. And to do that, we're going to, we're going to jump into Scripture. We're going to go to Romans 6. So if you've got your Bibles, open your Bibles. If you've got your Bible on your phone, turn your phone off and read it off the screen. It will distract you. Um, we're, going to, we're going to set up this sermon series, okay? But before we do that, I want to, I want to point out a, a, a misconception that we've had. I think that the inner world conflict that's going on in each and every one of us, we've had a, a fundamental misconception about what sin is and how sin exists in the world. So to understand what's going on in our inner world, we first have to reframe and understand what sin is. So dive with me into scripture. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to be re reading from Romans 6, verse 8 to 18. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not, let, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This is a, a, a pretty pivotal, pretty famous Bible passage. You've probably possibly read this a number of times. Are we going to drill in this this day? And we're going to we're going to ask ourselves a question: What? Can God speak to me about my inner world and what's really going on um, through this passage of Scripture? The first thing that I realized when reading this passage was actually, Ryan, you've, you've got sin all wrong. See, I, I, have, I think I've been guilty of thinking sin is an act, thinking sin is the thing that someone does, and it's actually not that. Sin leads to wickedness. These are two discrete things. When you think of, when you think of sin, what comes to mind? If I said to you, think of sin, um, you think of the bad things you've done, the bad, the evil that you see in the world. You think of 
the, the bombs that are dropped, the broken relationships that have, have happened around you. You think of the nastiness, the hurt, the, the criminality. You think of the things around you in the world. But this passage teaches, and those things, I just want to say, those things are evil and they are bad. We've just done our week on Alpha, which is um, how can I resist evil? And it's so amazing. The, the guests talk about this and, and, and the videos talk about this. And, and someone on the, on the video says, you know, I didn't used to believe in God, but when it got to the week on evil, I knew that God was real because the devil advertises. I've seen evil in the world. Evil exists, but it's not the same as sin. Wickedness and sin are two discrete things. This says in verse 13, sin is an instrument of wickedness. When we think of sin, we think of the act. They did this horrible thing. But sin isn't the act or the action. The act or the action is the wickedness. Sin is better thought of as like a condition precedent. It's a state. It's a posture. It's a, a fertile soil. It's an underlying human condition. It's a matter of the heart. It doesn't matter how trivial or extreme the wickedness is, the act is, there's always a platform of sin beneath it. So this is the first misconception that we need to rewrite in our minds around sin, and it's going to come up on the screen for you. Sin is not an act. It's a posture in which we abide. If you're a note taker, write it down. Sin is not an act. It's a posture in which we abide. The second thing that as I drilled into this passage, I realized is our concept of slavery is wrong. Our belief, our mis- we have a misconception around what but to be in bondage looks like, to be enslaved looks like. See, the human condition is that we're always slaves to something. This, this passage puts up these two options of slavery. And I believe we've believed this false gospel. We've believed that either I'm a slave to sin or I'm not a slave to sin. It's a, it's a part truth. It's not the full truth. And therefore, it's not the truth. Verse 16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, and they're talking here not about physical death, although everyone in the room will likely experience it. They're talking about a spiritual death. You're either a slave to sin, which leads to this spiritual death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. We are either a slave to sin or we are a slave to obedience. When we're a slave to sin, it leads to this spiritual death. This spiritual death is those feelings of doubt, that feeling of abandonment, feeling of shame. 
feeling of being lost, being in decline, the unease, the discontent, the discord in your heart. Sin leads to spiritual death. We either offer our lives to sin, which leads to death, or we offer our lives to obedience, which leads to righteousness, rightness with God. Rightness with God is when we're in sync, in step, in harmony with the Holy Spirit, with God. Rightness with God, righteousness with God is when our purpose is fulfilled through our presence with others. See, this is the, the, the mistruth that we've believed. I believe, I have falsely believed that non-slavery is an option for me. It is not. You cannot choose not to be a slave. If you're not a slave to obedience, you are going to become a slave to sin. And that's the second point for the note takers. If you're not a slave to obedience, you will become a slave to sin. The third mistake I think we've made around this is our concept of what obedience is. I think we've, um, we've got a misconception around how to be obedient. Obedience isn't the same as performance. Obedience is, actually isn't the things you do. If you're anything like me, at this point in the sermon, you've gone, okay, sin's not an act, it's a posture. And I, I've got to choose to be a slave to something. Okay, I want to be a slave to obedience, so I know what I'll do. I'll ask you about, um, can, I, can I be in the pack-up setup roster and put some chairs out? Um, can I volunteer in the sound booth? Can I, uh, do you need anyone shipping, shipping out coffees? That will make me perform better. I'll, I'll, um, I'll create a, a spiritual health tracker and I'll track how many quiet times I've had this week and I'll try and nail seven out of seven and it's got to be an hour and a half long each. Like, oh, I can do this. I can will myself into this. But we can't replace a posture of sin with righteous acts. That's not the gap here that God's asking, inviting us to step across. Verse 17 says, Obey from your heart the pattern of teaching. Obey from your heart the pattern of teaching. In other words, obedience is a matter of the inner spiritual life. Your inner life obedience is actually the flourishing environment in which God will use as a platform to impact the world around you. Your obedience is not the actions you take. It's the state in here that you offer God. So this is the third thing we've got to realize. Your obedience is always about developing your inner life. That's what God's asking us to do. I, um, I, used to be, I used to be in industry. I used to be in commercial construction. And um, that the, if you've been around the corporate world, everyone will know that cor corporates have these acronyms, you know, and they're just, you know, someone starts parroting them, usually someone senior, and then everyone uses these words like they're, uh, you know, I'm on the in, 
And they had this, this, this term high pot. High pot, has anyone else been in a business where they've used this one? High pot, high potential. Oh, this person's a high pot. They're a high pot. They got to achieve stuff, you know. They're high potential. And we, we, we used to classify our people. We had a few, few hundred across Victoria and we'd be like, oh, those, those people, the young up-and-comers, they're the high pots. We've got to invest in the high pots, you know. They're the achievers. They're the people that want to get promoted, take on new challenges, give you more of their time. They're the people that you can trust. They can do things. They can make us money. They negotiate well. They get teams aligned. They get clients on board. They get projects moving. They look good. When I was, when I was younger, um, I used to be in this cohort. You know, I was one of the high pots. And people were telling me, you're a high pot. You're a high potential. You don't know, Ryan. You're a high potential. We see you. But if I'm completely honest, I was being ruled. I was being mastered. I had a dysfunctional inner world. And I looked good. I could make people money. People admired me. But actually, under the surface, if you scratch back, there was actually a rotten core there. You see, when I was, um, you know, you can go into the psychology of this. Now, what was going on in Ryan's inner world? And, you know, when I was 12, my grandfather said some things over me that, were, that crushed me and created this need for approval. And I reckon I went around for the first, for the next 10, 15 years, overlaying this need for approval onto everyone that I met in any position of seniority. And it was our line manager's dream, you know? Oh, I've got this deep need for approval. Oh, you're the CEO. I'm going to work my socks off for you. I'm going to try and get your approval. But it was never enough. So you have to, get, you have to achieve more. I needed to impress. I had to take on a bigger task. I need to manage more stuff. And in truth, I think I got a little buzz off it as you were getting the accolade back, the little pat on the back. The end of your bonus, someone whispering in your ear, oh, you're a high pot. You know, oh. But it was actually controlling me. It affected the choices I made in my life. It affected where I lived. I made a choice to go to WA without any consideration of God. It's because I wanted my boss's approval. It was actually shaping the direction of my life without me even realising it. Do you know, I, I didn't used to share my faith. I, um, I struggled to share my faith with colleagues, with friends, with families. You know what was really going on there? I was overly concerned about how I was perceived because I had this need for approval. So I, um, I would go into a setting, I'd sense that, oh, God wants you to share. And then this little thought would come in in my inner world of, oh, but what would they think of you? So I retreated. Spiritual death. My inner world had a power over me that distorted how I lived. And my wickedness, it wasn't like a drug-fueled, murderous rampage. But it was crushing. It was crushing the spiritual life. It was much more subtle. It was a distraction. 
from God's intended direction for me. I was headed down a path that God didn't plan for me. And it looked successful. And I thought I was all good. And if you fast forward to seven years from now, that was seven years ago. If you fast forward to last week, I was in a cafe two weeks ago probably now. I was in a cafe with my children and one of my kids had a baby Chino and it was going everywhere, right? And do you know what really happened in my inner world? I was more concerned about the strangers around me in the restaurant, in the cafe, that I will probably never see again. I was more concerned about them than I was my children. God has asked me to disciple these children. And we have a parenting principle at Red, which is go after the heart, capture the heart. And I was more worried about pleasing the stranger in the cafe than I was discipling my own children. There was an inner inner health discord and that's an inner posture of sin that was inhibiting how I want to live my life. It's just a quarter degree off. Just a fraction off. But here's the thing, right? You can't actually will yourself into a better performance. You can't actually write down all the times that you've been a little bit dysfunctional and go, oh, I'm going to check that I'm going to do that better. I'm going to strive my way into this. And here's the truth. You and I, we're actually more dysfunctional than we even realize. When we analyze our lives, we're just skimming the surface. And God wants to bring an inner healing to this space in a more powerful way than we realize. The catalyst for change is actually a choice of death in here, death to self. We we get tricked into thinking that um, the role of the Christian, to be a Christian, is to become more like Christ. We get tricked with, there's a slight, a subtle tricking here. Who, who, um, who's ever met someone that's been to church so much, they've been almost every Sunday of their life, that when you look at them, you go, oh, that's Jesus. Has anyone ever met anyone like that? No. We all fall short. To think we can imitate our way to be, to become Christ is ludicrous. You could go to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. You could do a quiet time every day for the rest of your life. And you can't will yourself to become Jesus. We're not called to to become like Jesus. We're called to die to ourselves so that Jesus can come in here. And in that process, we start to look more like him. Becoming like Christ is what God does in us. It's not what we do. Our choice to die to ourselves in here is our act of obedience. Our challenge as a church, as a people of God, is to be a life dying to ourselves, a life of more than me in our inner world. Verse 13, the second half of verse 13 that we've read today says this, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself 
to him as an instrument of righteousness. Here's the thing, right? We go back into striving at this point. We go back into, okay, what do, what do I do with this? What do I do next? How do I do this? How do I die to myself? I'll make a list of 10 ways I can die to myself this week. We can't do it. God's got to lead us into it. But God is shaping your world. God is shaping the things around you, the interactions you'll have, and God is going to use your life as a sanctification process. After the sermon this morning, I was speaking to someone, a young mom, and she reflected that, you know, having a kid teaches me how to die to myself. I thought I, I had died to myself and then suddenly I've got something outside of myself that I've got to give my life over to and it causes me to realise, oh, I've got to die so much more to my ambitions, my will, my, my striving. My, it's, it's out of control and my only option is to die to myself so that I am free. Maybe you've got a work situation at the moment and God's saying, are you going to trust me or are you going to strive to make it happen yourself? Maybe you've got a, a relational circumstance, a conflict in a, with family, with friends, and God's saying, are you going to try and do this alone or are you going to die to yourself? Maybe you've got doubts or worries or anxieties or fear around a situation that's playing out. And God's saying, are you going to go this alone? Are you going to be in charge? Or are you going die to die to yourself? When we choose a posture of obedience, when we choose death to ourselves, that leads to righteousness. That leads to rightness with God. That leads to God's glory coming out through your life into the world. It leads to a more flourishing life. We're going to respond to this now. I'm going to get the band to come back up. And we're going to respond to this now. I'm going to get you all to stand, actually. I'm going to get everyone to stand. And Dave, if you don't mind, you can just strum some music for us. And we're going to, we're going to pray into this. See, I, can't, I, can, I can tell you what to do now, and you can have a little performance moment where you um, choose to do something. But actually... What we need is the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to minister in here. And our act of obedience is, is, is not something that we're called to go and do. It's a posture of our heart. So we're going to pray into that. So whether you're, whether you're standing, whether you're sitting, I just invite you to put a hand on your heart and just close your eyes, bow your heads. And we are we're going to pray together. We're going to pray Holy Spirit, come. Father, we stand here, sit here. We are here as your people. So we pray that ancient prayer of the church, Holy Spirit, come. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Father, as we journey through this sermon series, as we as we investigate, as we listen to, as we learn, 
about the inner spiritual life, about inner health. We just invite you to minister to our hearts, to our inner world now. As the music plays, I'm just going to give a moment of silence and I'm just going to invite spirit, bring something to mind, bring to mind uh, the thing that you're using in our lives or the things that you're using, the circumstance, the relationships, the, the situations that you're using in our lives, which is an opportunity for us to choose not to be a slave to sin, an opportunity for us to be choose to be slaves to righteousness, to adopt obedience. Holy Spirit, come speak to us now. I get a sense that there's a couple of different groups of people. There's some there's maybe some people that are immersed in their inner world. And I want to pray for that group now. I feel that like there's uh, the enemy uses a, a trick of fear to trap us in our inner world, to prevent us from inviting God into it. A fear that paralyzes, that quashes, that ostracizes. And so if, if that's you, just accept this prayer now. Lord, where there's fear, replace that with faith. Fear leads to, to confusion and, and I pray your truth in place of this fear that these people were knitted together by you in their mother's wombs. These people belong to you. We belong to you. And where fear is paralyzing us, stopping us from taking a step of obedience in our hearts to give you our inner life, I pray, come Holy Spirit, breathe life. Shine light into darkness in this inner world. I feel there's another group of people that are caught in their inner world in, in shame. That, that sense of I'm not good enough, I've failed. And it's not true. We all fall short. God's grace is sufficient for every single one of us. So wherever there, anyone you know, Lord, the people in this room that are wrapped in, in shame, I just pray faith come in place, truth come in place. We are your people, God. We are your children. Replace that shame with confidence, the confidence that we stand as your people called out for this moment. And I pray for all of us, Lord, reveal to us any aspect, any anxious thought in us. Search us, Lord, know our anxious ways. Reveal to us where you want to minister to us in our hearts so that we can step into this freedom that you have to offer as we become slaves to obedience in our inner world, as we die to ourselves, change our hearts, Lord. 
and have us experience the freedom that you have to offer. Release us, Lord. We give you our lives, Lord. Help us in our doubts and lead us as your people. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.